Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any real life statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level. Let's see, to interact with us, love seeing you live every Thursday night on Facebook and YouTube. So hello for those of you watching live. If not, catch the chat replays or listen in your favorite podcast app. You know me, my name is John Ruark, and I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge number 1957 in Fairfax, Virginia. And next up for his introduction, another Virginian, Joe Martinez. Hey, Joe. Am I really a Virginian or am I more a worldly Worldly. A world traveler? No. Traveling man. No. Hi. Hi, YouTube land, Facebook world. Joe Martinez, that's my name. Uh, I am still Worshipful Master of Manassas Lodge number 182 in Manassas, Virginia, and a bunch of other lodges, and uh, super jazzed to be here. There's one of my dogs. Uh, she is not a Mason, but, you know, it's open to the public and on the level. So, yeah, right on. Good She's allowed. She's awesome. allowed to be here. All right. Yeah. Also, for his introduction, Robert Johnson. Hey, Robert. What's going Hello. on? Hello. Uh, not much. Just uh, fresh back from the Valley of Chicago. Um, and, uh, yeah, past master, Waukegan 78, current sitting secretary at uh, Space Novum 1183, and the host of the West Came You Masonic podcast. So good to be with you guys. Sweet. Talking about some sweet stuff. Sweet stuff. Just the way I like it. Hot Very stuff. cool. How was how was uh, presentation at Scottish yeah. right? Well, you know, so it was going to be good. I'm sure it was uh, amazing. Um, I did that thing where, like, I didn't RSVP, but I just showed up because I was like, "Oh, you're going to have the meeting. I don't really want to eat the food, so I'm not going to pay, and I'm not going to RSVP." So I just went. But they were like, "Oh, you still got to pay because they're um, holding it in one of the rooms." So I paid them twenty five bucks. I went in there and uh, it was like assigned seating because it was like a big, huge table lodge thing. And I didn't know that. And so um, I delivered a cake for Scott. So happy birthday, Scott Duball. Yay. Happy birthday. um, And then so I delivered the cake. I left it at the bar. And then I split. So I assume Scott's education went great. I just didn't feel like putting anybody out by making them add like a chair somewhere. So, Hmm. yeah, it is what it is. But I know it was going to be good. I know he'd been prepping for it. So, as a, as a firm believer in the RSVP system, you know that I give you zero sympathy. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I, 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 I actually invite Robert to all of my crap. Um, he gets he gets two evites a month. And At least two invites. No, And I no. always thanks for the invite. Thanks for the invite. Can't make it because I live in Illinois. So yeah. But I'm a firm believer. It's it's, it's more than two because those uh, those evites are, are quite the nag, which is a good thing because I forget. So I'm just saying. <laughs> well, it's not you because you send two, but it sends like, hey, as a reminder, you haven't let Joe know yet. Did did I tell you you haven't let Joe know yet? By the way, Joe doesn't know yet. So, <laughs> so I get quite a few. It, it, look, let's just say it's anything but persistent. Awesome. Well, hey. Um, want to give a special shout out to all the patrons who support the show. You guys are awesome and rock my socks. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. 
that's the URL. So you can uh, chip in a few bucks and help us uh, keep the show going for many, many years to come. Today's tarot card of the week will be drawn by Joe Martinez. So let's I can shuffle them. Yeah, that's, that's the worst part about these like huge handed tarot decks. Yeah. So speaking of huge tarot decks, the Masonic so tarot. The Masonic yeah. Terror, yeah, by yeah. Patricio Diaz Silva, who's from Chile, which is where my mom's family's from, which is super yeah. awesome. Nice. These are actually really cool cards. Um, I like it. I, I was trying to look before the show to see if he was actually a Freemason, but all the little booklet says is that he studied Masonic symbolism. So I don't know if this, if he's a brother. Right on. Hermano, how are you? Um, but yeah, we don't know. If not, but he did his of, homework. He did. He did. He knows most you, things. Y'all ever get like that? Kind of people the, in my area. The giant, like the standard quote unquote deck. It's. Hold on. Look at this thing. Nope. Gotta go find this Pay thing. Pay no attention to the uh, mess <laughs> in my room. I'm in the middle of. Oh, dude, that is. My OCD is mess. floating right now at the mess on your couch. It'll be on back I'll there. I'll cut it so, Joe. No, go back to it. Go back to it. Let's stare and point, point at it. That. Look at that mess. <laughs> oh, oh my face! It's all, from, it's all because um, <laughs> my wife got me an awesome lamp that I tried to hang up and it wasn't working out. So speak, this really makes for entertaining. I cannot stop staring at that chair. It's freaking me out right now inside. <laughs> Enjoy it. Enjoy it. This is. This, this, I, wanna, uh, I just want to get on a plane and clean that room. I'm sure it's a beautiful deck. Let's, hey, Joe, why a, don't we... There's a maid, there's a maid that's going to show up at your house at 2 a.m. Like, Mr. Joe! <laughs> <laughs> Special <laughs> delivery. <laughs> so, yeah, while hey, we Joe, why don't we uh, actually get right to the tarot deck? Yeah. Yes. All right, so here we go. Ready? Shablam! Boom! That is See. the Queen of Chalices. So that's the Queen of Cups in this. Uh, in this, as you can see, some Masonic symbolism there. Mm-hmm. Queen of Cups. Queen of Cups or Chalices. Some. That's some. Uh, so we've got that's some, some sweet feminine. Mm-hmm. Some feeling, some caring. We've got emotional stability, which is zero of us. Yes. Um, a whole. What is the? Uh, does does every card have the square at the bottom? I'm just curious. Like that. No. So the uh, the um, major arcana has the square and compass. Okay. Okay. And let's see. Wait. And then let's see what the knave mallets. The queens have. So the queens have the square. Okay. The knights and the knaves just have their names. Do you, I key. wonder with that deck if Silva decided that because the queens are a feminine aspect to put the uh, the square there in that inverted way to kind of represent a masculine uh, balance. So the king has but, the square on there as well. Oh, also has the same same orientation. Maybe not. Yeah, look at the that. The king and the queen yeah, do. Well, cool. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and the rest have names. Yeah, wow. but yeah. Queen of Chalices. Queen of Cups. So I, I like the Queen of Cups because it's uh, kind of your emotionally stable mother figure, right? That's uh, it's it's the feminine side, but one who can control her emotions, right? The the matron of the family, right? So think of that, 
you know, wise old grandma who keeps the whole family in line. Like that's the kind of archetype of uh, what's going on right now. So think about you know, how, what would what would you know old grandma say about the situation that got going on. What, you know that oh dear, don't worry, it'll be fine. Everything's everything's great. Or, or there's okay. So uh, there was a great article published a few years ago, and I think I may have mentioned it to you at some point in you know one of our many chats. Uh, but there's this idea that, uh, you know, these Fortune 500, Fortune 50, they rise, 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 rise. Everything's going amazing. Then they hit a huge roadblock, like, let's say, HP back in the day. And what do they do? Right? They they pull a queen of cups. Because what they're doing is they, they go out and they hire the CEO. The new CEO is a woman. And they do this. Oh. We see it a lot in the business world. Uh, these companies go hard then they hit a wall and they don't know what to do and uh when i was listening to uh i want to say uh hidden brain on npr yeah they were talking about it and they said really it's the equivalent of the all of the companies who do this they don't know what to do one mom and that's what they do and literally, that's what happens. The uh, the, the, the uh, feminine force comes in. The woman CEO comes in and like kind of fixes all the problems, hangs around for five, six years, and then she goes to the board of directors and then they get a new guy in there. It's really weird. Um, but it seems to be a pattern. And I just, I think that's interesting that the way you described that just now, you know, kind of like, what would mom do kind of thing? Um, that's how you could think about that. You know, never be afraid to ask uh, your maternal figures for advice for sure. Right. That's an interesting uh, takeaway. You were going to show some of the cards that you have too, the little deck. Oh, did well, you find okay, it? So I couldn't find it. Or do we I want another shot of your office? Why don't Why don't you go look uh, on that uh, chair? Oh, there it is. It's probably. Oh, there it is. Oh! Dude, you know, I have over a hundred tarot decks. This makes for great I TV. I chair and everything in it on fire. <laughs> oh my god. Wisdom runes. I don't know. So this is the Oracle deck. It's an Oracle deck, but but sometimes the cards are like huge. Yeah. Right? Like, that's my hand. That's, that's a big, big card. Yeah, for so people that I, wear you got the werewolf. You got the werewolf. What the hell is it? Anyway, I don't like it. Anyway, moving on. We've, moving on. Stuff. We've got. We lost like all the viewers. They're yes. gone. I don't blame them. Okay, here we go. Tonight's topic is on brother Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Uh, so this is interesting. Um, in fact, the idea from the, the topic of this episode came from actually my very first. Masonic paper that I wrote. Um, this is for like the, uh, the beehive club. We did an episode on the beehive club, uh, many, many years ago. And, um, at the time my lodge had a little study group and I, they said, pick a paper and write about it. So, um, not only did I pick, you know, brother Mozart and his kind of Masonic background, but, um, specifically I dove deep and we'll talk a little bit about his, uh, Masonic play or opera, the magic flute, because there's a lot of symbolism in there. We'll talk about tonight, um, which is also fun because you know how the universe lines everything up. After I did my my first Masonic research paper, yes, of course it was pl- actually playing about a month later uh, near near where I live, so I was able to go see it with a fresh set of eyes and 
point out the little things that probably most of the audience didn't even know about. So that was fun. Always do that. Nice. Nice. Okay, so let's. In preparation. Yeah. Before we do that, let's let's give a shout out to. Um, speaking of music. Music. Give a shout out to. Uh, the hats we're wearing. We're all wearing. Well, RJ doesn't have his hat on, but yeah, we're uh, <laughs> shouting out to the Grand Lodge of Texas. It's having Woo. their like week long Masonic Palooza this week. The uh, Grand. Uh, Grand annual, annual communication. Shindigs. And I'm seeing pictures of oh. cigars and barbecue. And <laughs> that's that's why my my feed is magic. full of all that. Yeah, yeah. I was really confused there. I was really confused because we were talking about music, and then you brought up the Grand Lodge of Texas, and I was like, "That." I just saw the hats. One and the same. Uh, Yeah, one and the same. Oh, well, usually you think about those those two together. Yeah, especially in a Masonic. I mean, in a Masonic context, no no music in masonry. Sorry. Oh, that's that's right. That's right. Right. I thought that was skulls. Anywho, (laughs) no skulls nor music. In the Grand Lodge of Texas, I mean masonry. Man. So let's talk about Brother Mozart then, uh, who was not a Texan, <clears throat> but in fact, uh, let's say do. Uh, Jason did a little bit of research on the uh, the historical side, but he couldn't join us tonight. Um, does anyone else want to take the lead on? I I did the historical side. You did his Masonic history. Oh, okay. But do you know when he was born? When he died? All that good stuff. No. Okay, then let me take the lead on that. <clears throat> so, Alrighty. brother Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, under many names, was born uh, 27th of January, coming up soon, happy birthday, 1756, and died at the ripe old age of 35, uh, around the 5th of, 5th of December, 1791. So, of which, there, of course, there's always a controversy when you die young like that. Uh, but we all know him as the boy genius, um, Had always had a... a an ear for music at the least of which, because his father, Leopold um, Mozart was a composer, did teach music uh, to people. So, you know, it's kind of like they always say, when you're, you're born into a musical family, you're, you know, you're bound to, um, you're bound to pick, pick some things up, but sure enough, like at the age of five um, started actually composing his own music. So he was not only between the ages of three and five, just starting to pick out, you know, major thirds on, on the piano. Um, his father was like, wait a minute, you guys, you have an ear for this. Um, actually started to teach him some things. And next thing you know, he's composing music by five. He's like creating symphonies by eight. So this, this kid is a wonder kid, uh, which instantly brought him to fame and fortune, right? It'd be good. Well, we'll get but to the fortune part. Was, was he a real genius? Oh, that's the that's the big question, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, spoiler: I don't think so. But we'll get. Would you say he's more savant-like then? Nope. All right. Let's, I don't let, think he's. Diff- let's go right I, to the punchline. I don't think line. he's any different. I don't think he's any different than anybody else who would have put in three thousand five hundred hours. Oh, you're of one practice. of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did. So, if you take the same amount of time mm-hmm. that he was practicing, true. And gave it to anybody at that age, of uh-huh. any age, and you compared them, then you get a true sense of, of the genius. And really what it boils down to is if you do that and you realize that he really wasn't famous, nothing he ever composed until he was 21 years old was considered amazing. True. Then what you have now is a case of uh, not extraordinary talent, um, right? Talent, extraordinary upbringing. Right. 
determination, his dad, consistency. His, right. Yeah. His dad was like, he, his dad wrote a violin book mm-hmm. that was considered like the standard for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, made his son. I mean, the, his dad was Leopold. His dad was teaching him music and music theory at three years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was three years old, I was pooping my pants. <laughs> so, let, I mean, this is, that's what's, I mean, but it is truly extraordinary because not everybody has that, um, that, that amazing kind of gift of the family, right? Extraordinary I circumstances, mean, not extraordinary talent per se. And, and I mean, truly, I think there is some extraordinary things behind Mozart, but I don't think it's his ability to do the things. I think it's his ability to uh, be dedicated to the things. Uh, but well, yeah. what about the this time guy, to devote to the things? You know what I mean? It's not like oh, yeah. know, he was ma- making shoes during the day and secretly composing That's at right. night. He was, you know, he was he was well off. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and and the the kid goes on he goes on a tour, a European right, tour with his right. dad. Mm-hmm. He does a European tour at like six years old or something that right. lasts three years, and then right after that, his dad's like, "Oh, by the way, we're not going home. What? We're going to Italy. Crack your bags." And then they do a five year <laughs> tour of Italy. So yeah. he like doesn't come home till he's almost fourteen years. Really old. Really doesn't grow up. I mean, think about it. Right? He's he's like Never. the like- the young, you know, child actor. Syndrome. It's like Miley Cyrus. There you go. Miley Cyrus. You gotta perform. Miley Cyrus. End of show. There's the connection. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Robert's like, what? But well, that, that does have to be a, a stressful walk. life. I mean, seriously. They both walked a rugged road. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they talked about a lot of the hotels and things that they stayed in were terrible. Um, medicine was terrible. They were always mm-hmm. sick on the road. Right. And this is the 1700, 18th century. Like medicine is kind of around, but it's not great. Um, mm-hmm. Access to medicine <clears throat> is not great. Um, and then what? When he's 17, he gets a, uh, a commission. He gets employed right. uh, as a court musician. And great, but the money sucks and he's bored. Yep. So then he moves to the capital of Austria and takes on the world. And gets bored there. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a, it's a, that's the sad part, too, because, you know, he's, he's becoming, you know, a man um, trying to make his own way in life. Um, and, and really, I mean, it just sounds like just throughout his, his life, he's, he's always trying to catch that next thing. Um, what that's, and that's extraordinary too, mm-hmm. because that idea of trying to catch the next best thing mm-hmm. is like, in my mind, analogous to reaching, continuing to reach. And when you listen to his music and if you listen to some, um, some commentaries on his music as I was doing uh, in prep for tonight's show. I said, you know, what, what do experts have to say about Mozart's music? Because everybody thinks they're familiar with Mozart, mm-hmm. but they're also kind of familiar with Beethoven. They're kind of familiar with Bach. And certainly they say, well, Beethoven 
probably the best composer of all time, seconded by Bach. And then they're like, and Mozart, who is, you know, this genius, um, which I think is, is appropriate to say, I just wouldn't call him a child genius, but they talk mm-hmm. about when they listen to his music, um, you can hear this kind of reach for the stars, if you will. And, and sure enough, when they say that and you listen to it, there's kind of like these builds and these echoey, um, I don't even know what you call it. Like the, the hall is echoing, right? And, and the notes are like tinkling upward. <clears throat> yeah, and, they hang on. And, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're just like, all you can do is go, wow, this is stargazing music. This is introspective music. And it is pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. So you see that there too, right? Like this, maybe that echoed something in his own life. He's, you know, he's echoing this into the music that he's writing. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. Hey, you said something super interesting about how, you know, everybody know everybody thinks they know a little bit of Mozart and a little bit of Beethoven. Where did I can't speak for younger folk, but where did our generation and the generation before us? Where did they learn it? Freaking Looney Tunes, man! That's where you learned all. <laughs> Hunter, yeah, that's where classical you music. All your classical music. Yeah, Mozart, Beethoven, Bach. It was mm-hmm. all in Bugs Bunny cartoons. You know, yeah, uh, that we grew up on, and those are the songs that bring us back to that. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, that's Beethoven. Mm-hmm. It's not because the bulk it's of us so, actually listen to all of Beethoven's is, symphonies. It's it's really silly too because we think like this is this, you know, a, a guy whose works. Uh, span are, are so expansive that they said if you put them all and you categorized them correctly, it would take 15,000 pages. Like, holy cow, right? By the mm-hmm. time this guy's 35 years old, this super serious guy whom we know through cartoons. <laughs> I, there's something amazing about that. I mean, that's kind of what opened up the door to music without lyrics for me right like i listened to that and then all of a sudden it was like oh what's that and then my grandpa he's like oh that's count basie i'm like what you know and then you start getting into like all the jazz and all the cool stuff it was really kind of a a a door breaker for a lot of people too i think you know when you think about Mm -hmm. uh, your exposure to those types of music right that's true so one thing that that I found interesting in you know, my research from years ago, looking into his life too, was like, okay, what's this Masonic influence? Remember he's born in uh, 1756, right? So think about right about the time George Washington's getting his uh, master Mason degree. <clears throat> and then we're coming up close to, you know, the, the, the um, he's in his what twenties when, um, you know, America is being born. Right. So just to kind of give some, historical context and, and anchoring. Um, so we know that the Grand Lodge of England is, is active in 1717 and beyond, right? And the other Grand Lodges nearby, obviously Grand Lodge of Paris is not far behind. And we've talked about Paris and the French Revolution and maybe the Masonic connection there. So there's, there's definitely a lot of masonry going around in Europe. It's, it's still in its infancy. It's not a, maybe a hundred years old organized yet. Um, but obviously this is where you want to go and hang out. This is the people you want to be with. Um, and so <clears throat> that even before 
Mozart was a Freemason, he was hanging around other brother Freemasons. And we know that to be true because of how he's getting his work commissioned. Um, Specifically, there's a couple of other ones here. Um, Later travels brought him to the European Dr. Anton Mesmer, who commissioned him to work on a, a, a piece of work called Bastion and Bastion in 1778 at the age of 22. Um, Mozart met brother Baron von Gemmingen, a diplomat from Mannheim. Yeah. Robert. You mentioned Mesmer. Now, mm-hmm. is this the same as th- in the namesake of, I think it is mesmerizing <clears throat> the, yes, the hypnotist. Yeah. yeah. And the, uh, the animal wow. magnetism guy. Yep. Wild. Yeah. That the one and the same. <clears throat> and, um, again, we have, a brother, Gemmigan, who commissioned a work called, uh, let's see, Semerasmus, based on Masonic principles. And um, they became, like, best friends, but, but Gemmigan was, was a Mason before um, Mozart, and, and they kind of, you know, chummed it up. And then Gemmigan left Mannheim for Vienna in 1782 and ended up becoming this little thing called the Grand Master of uh, the VNS Masonic Lodge called Beneficence, which will have a an interesting connection here in a little bit. So, you know, you, you got a, you got a friend who's given you work. You learn about the Masons, and next thing you know, this this friend who who helped you out early in your life just happens to be a grandmaster, <laughs> right? So let's. Uh, there's a couple others that I'll, I'll get to later, <clears throat> but but that kind of leads us into what is this Masonic bibliography? of Mozart. Joe, take it away. Yeah, right. So uh, just to add some color to what you were talking about, you know, this is the beginnings of, of speculative Freemasonry. And Freemasonry in Austria, you know, the first lodge in Vienna was in 1742. Okay, so that's what, 20 years after um, the premier Grand Lodge of England was formed. Um, so not, not that long after. So, you know, these are fledgling lodges when it comes just to it. But baby. in terms of just a, just a baby. But uh, in terms of uh, Mozart's Masonic resume, um, earliest records show that he was admitted as an apprentice in December of 1784 in the lodge. I cannot say it in Austrian, uh, but its English name is Beneficence. And then he became a fellow of the craft in January of 1785. So about a month later. And then shortly thereafter, there's no dates. Uh, he became a master mason. So again, this is after 1725. We do have a three-degree system, and uh, yeah, I do know that. I think there is a record of him being a Mason by April of 1785. So while we don't have his actual record of of becoming a Master Mason, we have him at least some Masonic record that shows he went to lodge or something around April 1785 as a Master Mason. Mm -hmm. Right, right on. So uh, there are records uh, showing that Mozart attended meetings of other lodges. Uh, one was called True Concord Lodge. Again, I cannot pronounce the Austrian. Um, and this lodge uh, was, quote, unquote, the biggest, the, the most biggest, the Donald Trumpist and most <laughs> aristocratic uh, in Vienna. Mm-hmm. And Mozart was known as one of the best uh, musical masons in that area. Um, so because of his hard work in music. I'm not going to say talent because Robert will throw stuff <laughs> at me from, from his chair. Um, that's still messy. Um, I got lots of stuff I can throw. 
God, I am coming over tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, everybody wanted to hear him play. So, you know, he would travel from lodge to lodge. He was the traveling man, you know, yes. and he was mm-hmm. young uh, when it came to it. So, so about a year later, uh, in December 1785, his own lodge, Beneficence, was merged with two other lodges um, hmm. under uh, more of a uh, governmental reform in Freemasonry. Okay. And this lodge became known as Lodge New Crowned Hope. Oh, and okay. so, again, just a year after he was uh, became an entered apprentice, uh, his lodge and two other lodges merged together. Um, and then uh, somebody noted on uh, um, <laughs> Card says in a Clandy Lodge. No, <laughs> there was no such thing back then. That's right. Um, but uh, somebody uh, mentioned that his, uh, his father, Leopold, was a Freemason, but uh, it looks like, based on the dates, that Leopold became a Freemason after Wolfgang did. Same year, so, uh, but just later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to I'm gonna assume that it was a reverse Lewis situation where he's like, hey, I'm a Mason. You know all these guys. Why don't you come on over and, you know, I'll raise you or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which you see, which is cool. You see it nowadays. Yeah, I love it. I love it when that happens. Yeah. was interesting, uh, Joe, you had mentioned uh, that he was considered to be amongst the better musical, musically talented Masons. And I'm like, who's going to be better? <laughs> yeah. Name one. Wait. <laughs> Anybody. Mean, yeah. But yeah. It's not like, well, you know, Pretty it incredible. is 1785. It's not like you've got a bunch of disco stews running around Vienna, you know. Right. Um, doing their thing and little pop-up DJ booths. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, to that point, <laughs> disco stew. Love disco stew. <laughs> um, but I think that was it on his uh, Masonic. I don't have, you know, all of his awards and all yeah. of his lapel pins. Sure. None of that. Um, they were very hoity-toity. But what then. side appended bodies did he join? Was he a member? Was he a shrine? None. Was One he a lapel shrine? pin per coat back then. Okay. Yeah. Was not a Shriner. I will. I'm going to look, and I'll po- I'll post it in the um, the show notes for this on on Facebook. But I'm really curious in the time frame of this uh, being over there in kind of the uh, Deutschland area, uh, if any of his lodges were affected by uh, the Memphis right. Uh, and I'm curious, <clears throat> That'd be right? Interesting. Like, I, it, because Beneficence Lodge sounds like one of those lodges. So, to your point, yeah. um, there definitely was... All right, now we're talking about the time frames where the Bavarian Illuminati uh, was True. also around. So, right. there definitely was... Um, and I was reading some other stuff preparing for this episode where <clears throat> there definitely was some commingling between uh, Bavarian Illuminati members and mm-hmm. Masonic Lodges in Vienna. That absolutely did happen. Um, there's a couple of names that were mentioned, uh, Otto Eric Deutsch, um, and Ignaz von Born, um, that were part of a naturalist movement, part of a humanist movement, things like that. Um, but there were little spider webs between, uh, Masonic so, lodges and Illuminati lodges as well. I think one thing that we can just probably jump into, if you guys don't mind, is probably the elephant in the room, which is the magic flute. Nice. Let's do it. And one of the things about the magic flute, going back to what Joe was saying, you were just mentioning this idea of humanism and things. And this was the prominent 
like everything about Freemasonry that yeah. the esotericist loves today is actually being pulled from an era of Freemasonry that's pretty small. Right. Um, that, that basically was influenced by Renaissance and Enlightenment and humanist ideals. Right. Let me, um, let me set the stage for that conversation sure. because this is yet another influence of Masonry weaving into his life. Because in early 1791, um, a longtime friend and known brother, uh, Johann Schikaneder, uh, uh, who was very popular at the time, he was uh, um, he was a very popular operatic singer um, performer. Um, he suggested that he and Mozart create something unique, like this big show, right? Um, and it will be performed at Schikaneder's theater. Right? He's got his own theater. He's big enough name to have his own theater. He says, hey, why don't you and I work together? We're, we're Masonic buddies. Um, I'm popular. You're poor. He didn't really say it that way, but <laughs> the elephant was in the room. And He might have. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's believed that uh, Brother Schikaneder gave Mozart this work as kind of like a brother helping brother. Like, let me give you... Um, you I know you're you're having financial difficulties, so let me help you out. So... Um, pr uh, the M Magic Flute premiered September 30th, 1791, and was a smashing success because they set all the cards up right. That you know, well-known performer, well-known artist at this time. Um, so that's that's really how they they came up with this concept of uh, of the Magic Flute. And to your point, RJ, like, why not just put the icing on the cake and make this thing the like Masonic play of its time? So back to you, RJ. It just would, it's just goes to say like it, it might be the most Masonic play ever. Uh, not for its ability to, you know, what you're picking out of it, but because of the way it was done, not only just kind of has these subtle allusions to that. I think any Mason watching would be like, Oh, cool. I mean, there's a number of, a lot of stuff has threes. Yeah. Mozart has the three doors, the three ladies, the, um, the three knocks, the three opening notes that Correct. are in triplets. Mm -hmm. Like every single piece of this, I mean, it is absolutely ingrained into it. Um, but he, it just the, the whole idea, the initiation into it, uh, when the lead character discovers that, um, the the queen of the night is not about like she's not good yeah. she wants to envelop the world in night right in and darkness. then there's like this yeah and then there's the sons of light right the temple the sun temple mm -hmm. yeah so there's, there's all these little ideas and then in fact there's been even some debate um, that probably led to the play's success that the queen of the night is based on the uh, Holy Roman Empress who denounced Freemasonry. Mm, so yeah. there's this idea, like it's also a little bit of, um, you know, a, a social commentary a little as well. Poking the bear. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's, so, I mean, it's a huge, brilliant. Sorry, mm -hmm. sorry to jump in there, but it's, it's, no, do it. I don't think it's a little, and I don't think it's veiled. I mean, it's, you know, multiple people that have uh, 
uh, written about the magic flute all say the queen of the night was absolutely right. uh, the Austrian empress, right? Um, and she symbolized oppression. Right. And that, um, uh, what's his name? The high priest, uh, he represented, I mentioned the name before, Ignaz von Born, who was basically like the Enlightenment Freemason, you mm -hmm. know, in that area. And But all those themes, they weren't subtle, right? We talked about the sun conquering the moon. Right. Uh, we talked about, the, you know, Tamino, the, the main character, actually goes through an initiation, right? Trying right. to find the, second act. Uh, the mm -hmm. daughter of the princess. Absolutely. Right. Um, you know, it gets alchemical. You've got fire and water symbolism in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is mind-blowing. Um, if I didn't have a hat on right now, you'd see, you'd see a bomb <laughs> go off. It is crazy. If you've not watched it. And the princess that he rescues is the daughter of the Queen of the Night. Mm-hmm. Right. So here, like, is even further kind of allusions to drawing the good out of the darkness, kind of thing, like, mm -hmm. and then absorbing it and kind of, uh, it's, it's a whole this alchemical equilibrium yeah. stuff all over this thing, and purification. It right. the, the the hero's the journey going esoteric, through the trials, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this it's like, like I said, it is the esoteric Mason's cream dream. <laughs> um, it's just. Even like even today, nothing hits that mark, and the and the, really the interesting thing about it is like th those Masonic pieces of the play, all of the symbolic esoteric natures of it um, cannot be excuse me um, cannot be uh, like like thrown away. Experts, there are TED talks about the Masonic influences of the uh, mm -hmm. the Magic Flute. Right, I'm trying to look at look at some of my my other notes here. I mean, just to to double down on what you guys have said, uh, two act play. Right, the first act is at night, and then the second act is at the Temple of the Sun. Right, he goes through uh, at least at least two trials of uh, fire, fire and water. Uh, there might be some others that are implied or added in, in other versions of the, of the story. Um, I'm glad you brought up the the opening of those two acts has three sets of three notes, just like you would open, open lodge with those wraps. Um, a majority of the opera is in the key of E flat, which itself has three flats. Um, there, uh, I haven't really checked, but uh, there's been some writers that have said that when he would write for, um, an entered apprentice song, it would have a uh, one flat, when he'd write for a fellow craft, it'd be a two flats, and then would write for Master Mason, it'd be three flats. I can't verify that, but I'm sure some musicians out there are gonna go, is gonna go check. Um, and yeah, we talked about the Queen of the Night. Um, yeah, it's just I think we covered all this because it, it's just fascinating that all the stuff was so in your face about it that actually there was rumors to be cause of suspicion for some foul play that possibly brother Mozart gave away too much because not long after he uh, released this. So we have uh, the premiere on September 30th, 1791 um, by December, 66 days after the premiere Mozart succumbed to a quote, severe miliary fever, right? Two months after his premiere, Boom, he's dead. And Emilio bleh, fever is essentially any kind of viral infection that causes a fever. There's no, it's not specific at all. 
Right. It's highly debated today with all of the symptoms that he had. Nobody knows what it is. Mm-hmm. They talked about poisoning of either yep. being mercury, which largely was just being used for what syphilis back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other was arsenic. Mm-hmm. But arsenic doesn't create the kind of swelling that they said he had 15 days in bed. Oh, man. 66. It's a double 33. Mm-hmm. 15 days in bed, 15 steps. I smell a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. They said dun, that he dun, was so dun. swollen. <laughs> they said he was so swollen he couldn't move any appendages. Like, just imagine, you know, the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, but it's, yeah. you know, it's the Stay Puffed 35-year-old Mozart. This guy's younger than all of us. Yeah. Dead. Mm. Dead. So it's led to what? They think kidney failure, um, to retention of fluids and all of these other things. But the the doctors have gone over all everything, and it, the jury's still out. It now makes all, you wonder. Yeah, we, we know he was working on, right, his, his famous Requiem that he never finished, the unfinished opera, um, which became, you know, uh, a great piece when it was finished and a big – uh, MacGuffin throughout um, the movie Amadeus, but the actual mm-hmm. final piece that he did complete before his death uh, was the Little Masonic Cantata. So he was still writing Masonic music after um, the uh, the Magic Flute, and finished that before he went on. So um, yeah, I mean it's just it's just fascinating to see that he he was starting to weave his talent for music. And his uh, his Masonic connections together, um, even to the very end. It was kind of crazy because as I was doing some of the research for tonight's episode, I really didn't. He starts off as, as Joe, and, and you kind of guys alluded to this this affluent sort of upbringing. And after he does all these things, it's he's kind of got like that poor musicians Mm -hmm. um, life going on. Like he makes most of his money touring and playing shows, um, holding dinner parties where people pay him to play music or as you guys said, you know, taking on commissions. Mm -hmm. And I just can't imagine that, that kind of lifestyle and trying to uphold this, you know, epic image of you are famous while you're living. That's a rarity especially True. in the artistic right world and pre-internet and to, right <laughs> and you have to up you have to uphold this image of of you can't you know, just being, download his track from soundcloud right <laughs> you gotta yeah. you've gotta be there <laughs> yeah yeah and, and what is mozart supposed to show up in rags and to play your party no, mm-hmm. no. he has uh, a a uh you know, visage to, to make sure that he upkeeps for the public so that they know he's the great Mozart. Right. And uh, that had to have been incredibly difficult. So I wonder, like, uh, did he turn to Freemasonry um, at any point because it was like aid? Or hmm. um, did he start Source creating more Masonic music? to sell to lodges. Uh, I mean, it is fulfilling a need, Hmm. but maybe we'll never know. Comment on that. Hmm. So having seen the magic flute, 
been a little bit. I actually want to watch it again now. Um, I mean, I get the sense watching it and, and knowing how the story plays out that Mozart really did get the more symbolic aspects of it. You know, he wasn't just blowing smoke out of his butt to, to get paid. You know what I mean? Like he did, he understood the, the essence of the symbolism and when, right. when you watch it and when you, when you listen to it and when you extract the meaning from it. So, um, you know, to your point, when you were talking, I was thinking, I'm like, well, was he going to lodges to find patrons? Cause that's what you did as a musician, right? You found patrons to mm-hmm. take care of you and stuff like that. Um, but then, then I listened to the magic flute and I'm like, well, shoot, he gets it. He understood, right. and at least I think he understood. And shit's beautiful, you know. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry for the potty mouth. <laughs> That's okay. I said something earlier. I shouldn't have said. Uh, no. But yeah, I agree. I, on, with that, with it's going with, downhill, with through that lens of knowing and thinking about how he interpreted those signs and symbols and the the philosophy behind things and how he basically created a Masonic drama for the public. Mm-hmm. Right. It kind of reminds right. you of, you know, um, cops or something where they're like the names of the innocent have been changed. Yeah. Uh, you know, everything's the he, same. He just changed. <clears throat> just change the you know, a a couple words around. Yeah. And it is, it is beautiful music and a, and a, and a real piece of artwork. So, so yeah, he didn't stop there though. He, um, since 1772, he was producing Masonic music on the regular, um, you know, which you can, you can search these up and find most of these. But what I find interesting is he had specific usages for specific ones. Um, so I have a couple of different, uh, CDs and yes, I've put them on on streaming as well of different, groupings of his masonic music so you should definitely listen to those but it also helps to know the context because once you translate them uh there's titles such as oh sacred bond of friendship between true brothers um there's ones for um for use at the installation of a new journeyman fellowcraft right um there's the the mason's joy there's um a couple that were written for actual masonic funerals so if you're looking for something to add to your own Masonic funeral list, there you go. You got some music written by a brother, by Brother Mozart that you can, uh, you can use for that. Um, what else? We have Colony of the Friends of Nature for the, and then, uh, for the close of the lodge, intended, you know, intended to be a lodge closing song. So, you know, again, it's not like he just, was inspired by Mason. We are like, no, he was like, I want to write these for use at lodge. Like, like all music should be used in ritual in lodge settings, you know, in, in no matter what grand lodge you're a member of, like Masonic music should be something to be admired, inspired by something of our, our brothers of the past. Well, let's pull that thread a little bit. I mean, what was, <laughs> You know they were playing lodges were playing before Mozart came along. They were mm-hmm. playing music in lodges, right? How many old lodges are are there in Europe that have these grand organs and and things like that? You know that that stuff mm-hmm. was there before Mozart came on the scene, right? But what was Masonic music like before Mozart came along? You know, was Ooh, it, interesting. did they just play well, crappy other songs it, from like what they did? many of the time through? We have evidence to, that shows 
uh, processional music happening, a lodge musician, a celloist perhaps. Uh, think now of your, um, you know what, let's just, let's take it all the way down to like the journeyman's, layman's, like pub lodge. You know, we're talking about maybe a collection, like when they're gathering, maybe they don't do the purge and they don't do all the things that we do today, but think about them on the working floor mm-hmm. and maybe there's a fiddler and he's just kind of playing something along to keep it nice before the meeting because you know that was really one of the key forms of entertainment that was easily accessible if you know you had a, a lodge musician right. and that was with a singer so yeah and, and it was that, probably so well um take it by the brethren mm-hmm. um for a number of reasons right well now let's fast forward 300 years to what do we have now we have a bunch of people singing one song out of tune uh, you know <laughs> with the piano if they're lucky the few or you know yeah. or their their ipod playing yeah. know, the ipod that the lodge has had for 20 years <laughs> um the funeral ode mm-hmm. uh, or they don't get to listen to music at all weird <sighs> yeah it's, uh, you know in all this talk about mozart and his music music is one of the seven liberal arts and sciences that we tout to to you know mm-hmm. uh adore and 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 speak to um so lodge without music sounds weird to me it does sound weird yeah uh, it does it just sounds weird it does sound weird that's me though that's me though yeah yeah this does i was done i was done <laughs> i don't know why you're at me uh so, uh, I just want to smile until my eyes shut like Mr. Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So that, you know, that's pretty much it. That's, that's the history, uh, the, the brief bio, the Masonic bio, and a little bit of his Masonic symbolism uh, throughout his, his artwork. But wait! So, there's more. I have a question. Maybe John, maybe John or Joe, maybe one of you picked this up. You talked about funeral music, and then I thought I was like, "Wait a minute, Mozart was a bro. Did did he have a Masonic bearing?" So I'm just curious. Ooh, John, I believe he Tell did us. not. I believe, he, of course, there is the myth, not to be proven not true, that he was just buried in a uh, mass pauper's grave that he was just piled oh, yeah. in, dumped in, because that's how they end the they movie s- Amadeus. Yeah, right. Okay, so Amadeus is not factual, right? But it's like the conspiracy that the dude uh, wanted the greatness but could never achieve the greatness of, right. of Mozart. Makes, thanks for good uh, good storytelling, but not actually yeah. true. It, and, and then we've got, uh, they say that he died like kind of poor. So, yeah, he was mm-hmm. buried in a regular old grave. So that, that was the difference, right? Because it was a it was a pauper's grave, but that was just kind of like, there's only like two kinds of graves, pauper's graves and then the aristocratic graves, right? And the only difference really was after 10 years, they were going to dig you up and use that plot of land for the next body to come in. If you were in a pauper's grave, if you were in the aristocracy, then your body is, is good and firm and planted there. So that's really the, that really is the nomenclature difference, right? So when, it was not a mass grave. It was not an unmarked grave. Um, 
So do but, you think then, John, there's a possibility that Mozart was just dug up and tossed aside? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, wow. it just, just, yeah. So his body could have been moved anywhere uh, since then. Right. So right. Do we, do we know his final resting? Um, well, I mean, there, I mean, if you, if you look, they, they did, they did erect a, a monument to him at St. Mark's cemetery where they believe he was buried. Um, not definitely not in a coffin. Um, right. you know, so that part, that part they're pretty sure on, mm-hmm. um, you know, but was it like one of those big pile dead body graves? Um, probably not, but to probably your point, a Mark cemetery was not the hoity toity cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, they did erect a monument to him, but is his body underneath it? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he was pretty swollen. So I'm just thinking he's probably like a giant Sazitz. He's probably were like. Careful. Toss that cased meat into the ground. <laughs> yeah. Calzone. Don't poke it with the stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's disgusting. Like you poke it and it just starts like whistling. <laughs> like. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you guys are sick. I swear. You know what I'm at. Sorry. <laughs> On that note, let's. Uh, Let's give him the respect he deserves and wrap things up for final thoughts. And we'll start with uh, RJ. Every damn time. To make to make to make Joe ticked off. RJ, um, any any final thoughts on brother Wolfgang Mozart? Was he was he a, a true genius or just someone who did the work? I think he did the work, but I think that's what makes a genius is somebody who understands things. It's Agreed. like today's SME, but like. A subject matter expert who can uh, live inside and outside of the thing that they're into, right? Like, if I pick up my guitar and I want to play a mode like Locrian, Dorian, or something like that, I need to know how those patterns interact on the guitar in order to go wherever I want. But there's a difference between knowing that and just, like, knowing exactly where that is and what notes go together intrinsically, because you've practiced it so much that you truly know it. And I think that's what he did. Like he knew his art form so well that he was able to compose things. You know, I heard one, one story they said, uh, they were like, Oh, I need to write this concerto by next Thursday. And he would do it. And it takes a genius to do that. Somebody who is truly uh, remarkable in their tradecraft. So, yeah, uh, really awesome. I learned so much about Mozart uh, just in prep for this week and listening to you guys. Uh, I, I walk away from this week's episode with a whole new appreciation. So, I hope uh, everybody out there who's who's listening. I hope we did him, uh, you know, somewhat justice, as, as John put it, kind of an abbreviated uh, bio, Masonic bio, and a little bit of talk about his life. Uh, really fun. So, thank you. Agreed. All right, Joe. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So um, I'm going to focus mostly on the magic flute and and realize that I need to go watch it again. And in fact, as I was uh, while you were talking, I was looking up. I'm like, where can I watch it again? Because I remember I watched it. There was a more recent version of it that's in English that was actually pretty awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I feel like I need to go watch it again and really start to unpack some of that symbolism because at the end of the day um to robert's point 
he was a genius who did the work. Um, and that's what made him amazing. And that's what made him memorable. And that's why we still talk about him 250 years later. Um, and I think that he was able to tell a story that encapsulates, like Robert said, in a very small slice of, you know, what we like to pull out of as us symbolic Masons, um, at a very brief period of time, he was supposed to, he was able to give us so much amazing content and story and, and something to, to hold on to and help tell our story. And I think it's absolutely beautiful. So, um, you know, even with the fun little jokes aside, I mean, he was an amazing man and he was a brother and, um, you know, he's inspired me to, uh, take his work a bit more seriously. And I'm definitely going to watch the, the magic flute again and, uh, you know, unpack it some more. So kudos brother Wolfgang. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Awesome. Yeah. If you look on YouTube, there's a couple of different editions. In fact, I did see there was a more modern one where like, like he crash lands his spaceship and that's how he like starts the, the beginning of the first act. It, it's out there. It's, it's entertaining. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's the best one out there, but if you want something to keep you entertained, uh, cause you know, we all have short attention spans, but there you go. That, so Hollywood needs to, to remake the magic flute. I, I'm sure they'd ruin it, but. Oh, and before you sign yeah. off, tell people no, uh, no, uh, no teeny bopper, uh, treasure. Tonight. We are not doing unlocking the treasure. Uh, we're going to hold that off when, when Jason comes back, we'll do two episodes next week, uh, cover two episodes of the <laughs> Disney thriller. <laughs> It's more not that bad. Teenagers making out. I, I I'm enjoying it more than you guys are, but that's not yeah, saying. Much. I don't know. I like it, John. We can watch <laughs> okay, it together. It's okay. Good. <laughs> we'll we'll do a cast party. Pop some popcorn. All right, make it happen. This is this is fun. Again, I think uh, there's a there's a lot to say about these these men over over the the our past, our, our brothers who we revere. We also give them a little bit of a hero status, just like we do with George Washington. You have these these guys who grew up in the era of Masonic Enlightenment and we we tend to hold them at a higher pedestal. But at the end of the day they were just men. They had their faults. Um they had talents, but they also had um their own struggles as well. And so I think we've kind of captured a lot of those themes throughout his music and his aspirations for both him and the fraternity. And that's what it's all about. So with that, I want to thank you all very much for watching and keep searching for more light. Have a good night. Wow.